Welcome to today's issues. Join us for the next hour as we offer a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Ed Vitagliano. And welcome, folks, to today's issues. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I am joined in studio by Fred Jackson. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. I'm sitting in for Ed Vitagliano. Yes, right. Yes. And sitting in for you is, is Chris Woodward. Across from Fred. Yes. <laughs> We're a pile of sitters. That's right. That's right. And the only one here who's in his normal position is Brent Creeley, our producer. That's right. And nobody can nobody can replace Brent. So, uh, so yeah, he, he gave me a nod and said, that's, that is right. He wants that in writing. <laughs> well, he's not going to get it. Folks, hope you are enjoying uh, your June 16th as it unfolds. Uh, my wife and I are looking forward to We get to babysit our grandkids tonight. Mm. And that always means pizza. <laughs> nice. So I, I always joke about pizza. That's kind of, you know, what Italians do. I rarely eat it. Okay, if you can believe that or not. But when we babysit the grandkids, they always expect pizza, and that's when I'm guaranteed of getting it because it's not really about me at that point. It's about what the grandkids want. That's right. My wife's all in. So so this is going to be a good night for you. Yeah. you got grandkids. Yes. you got pizza. Yes. And you got a hockey game. There's a hockey game. Uh, not my team playing anymore. They got knocked out, as I've mentioned. Yes. Haven't really gotten much sympathy from the crowd around here. But, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I guess. So, but now I am, I will say this, and then we'll get to the news of the day, folks. I know you're saying, come on, let's move it. But um, I, I, I have the cards stacked against me down here in the South. I'm originally from up in New England, the Boston area, and I am trying to get my grandkids interested in hockey. Oh. Yeah, and, and they're not going for it. Not yet. So maybe when they get older, I can I can swing them. But You're going to take them to Nashville or? No, man. No, You're going to take them to the North. No, no, no. I'm just just trying to get him interested. Oh, I, so. I just meant to like a, the nearest game or something. Don't, don't even. Chris, you're not interested in hockey. <laughs> don't pretend like you, you care. When I'm trying to raise my grandkids properly. I'm familiar with the sport. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, uh, Chris, since you're sitting in for Fred, yes. go ahead and get us started. Well, on I do want to mention day. this because we, as I understand it, have a guest today. Is that so correct, Brent? All right. Coming up at uh, – 10.30, so in the next 30 minutes-ish, we're going to be having our uh, very own Rob Chambers on to talk about events unfolding at the Southern Baptist Convention, where Southern Baptists have a new president. His name is Ed Litton, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, but divisions remain over this, and so we'll be talking about it. Uh, anything you want to share there just from your take thus far? Yeah, I, I think it's no question that it was. Uh, it came down to a battle between what could be described as the conservative wing of the Southern Baptist Convention mm -hmm. and the more woke wing of the right. Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, the uh, the balloting went uh, twice yesterday. There was a first vote. There were four presidential candidates. Uh, Dr. Al Mohler, very well known right. uh, in the country and mm -hmm. in Southern Baptist circles. Mike Stone, who is part of the Conservative Baptist Network, a pastor out of Georgia, Ed Litton, and uh, a, a gentleman, uh, Mr. Adams, uh, who became an also-ran. In the first uh, ballot, he only received just over 600 votes. But Al Mohler, I was rather shocked that Al Mohler did not make it by the first balloting. Uh, such a high-profile right. seminary president, 
well-known speaker out there, book writer, all of uh, And so it came down to Mike Stone and Ed Litton. Because Bowler finished third. He finished third in the in the first balloting. In the second ballot, uh, Ed Litton uh, won that ballot by just 600 votes. There are a total of about 13,000 messengers, as they're called, uh, who voted. And uh, Ed Litton uh, came out on top. So... Uh, if anybody thought this was going to resolve the divisions in the Southern Baptist Convention, I don't think so because they're there. And we'll talk a whole lot more about that in about a half hour. And yeah, Ro- I- Rob Chambers, is uh, he is the Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs here. Mm-hmm. He's also Vice President of AFA Action here. Uh, very well versed on the uh, various bills that are before Congress, so on and so forth. Uh, but he's a Southern Baptist and went as a messenger from his church. Uh, he's very interested, and and we will talk to Rob at the bottom of the hour. But I will say this, Fred, that what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention seems to be mirroring what is happening in the nation more broadly in terms of the split that we have ideologically. And it's strange to see that playing out in a Christian denomination where you would think that uh, just the Bible is what matters. So yeah, and and it's a, you mentioned a reflection of what's going on in our culture. One of the big issues, Southern Baptist Convention, uh, is critical race theory. Right, just like it is going on across the country right now. Yes, and uh, systemic racism, or at least charges of right. systemic racism. So yeah, you're exactly right. The issues that conservatives versus liberalism in the culture at large also found camps inside the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. And by the way, for those of you who are listening who are Southern Baptists, mm-hmm. I know that I've been corrected uh, on this, which is fine. I make lots of mistakes. Uh, in the past, I, I know that technically speaking, the Southern Baptists are not a denomination. Mm. Uh, I just don't know what else to call mm-hmm. them, and that's what most of the media calls it, calls it as a denomination, because it's really a kind of a cooperative uh uh, or uh, or organizing event, for example, the convention of independent autonomous churches rather than being controlled by bishops and so on yeah. and so forth. Mike Stone, one of the candidates for president, described it this way, Southern Baptists are a convention two days of the year. Yeah. That's when they meet for right. their annual meeting. Uh, but the rest of the time, they're autonomous congregations. Yeah. But very, very influential in amongst evangelicals mm-hmm. and... Uh, and uh, Protestants, I will say. I've actually been corrected on that, too, that they're not evangelical. So anyway, so we do the best we can in terms of the labels to, mm-hmm. to give some understanding I'm of what's sure happening. I'm, I'm sure I've used it before. I'm, I'm not a Southern Baptist, not that there's anything wrong with that. I know many. I happen to be related to many, and I work for many. So, uh, yeah, I've probably said that myself at yeah. some point in the past. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and move on. Well, from one big meeting to another, uh, this one uh, is an international meeting of sorts between two great uh, international powers, uh, Right now in Switzerland, President Joe Biden is meeting with his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, and they're talking about a number of things. Uh, We don't really know details on all that they're talking about or what exactly Biden wants from him and Putin wants in exchange and uh, things of that sort. But uh, it does have a lot of people talking. And here is one example. Uh, This is Representative Elise Stefanik, one of the new and highest ranking members of the uh, House GOP leadership. She was on Fox and Friends today talking about the Biden-Putin meeting. Clip one. 
What I'm really looking at is how Biden is going into this meeting. He is going into this meeting asserting weakness based upon the policy decisions and the giveaways that the American government has already given to Russia under Vladimir Putin. For example, the waiving of the sanctions of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That's a giveaway for Russian energy independence at the same time that President Biden is crushing American energy independence with the decision to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. Line. Another really important issue, this is very technical, but the New START Treaty, which of course governs the nuclear arsenal nukes numbers, Russia's top priority was getting a clean extension of that. And President Biden gave it to Five them years. without any preconditions before going into this summit. And then the third key issue is the cyber attacks that, according to open source, backed by Russia. These are from cyber thugs, but backed by the Putin regime. She also went on to say that, and this was perhaps maybe an effort to kind of reach out to Trump uh, voters who were upset with Liz Cheney. Uh, Lee Stefanik went on to say that Trump did a much better job dealing with Putin, even initially, like early on in his presidency. And here we are, 120 some odd days into the Biden administration. Um, so we'll see what happens here. Um, they invited the press in for the little photo op with all the cameras clicking and Joe Biden gave his trademark grin and all that stuff. Um and then they shut the doors and, you know, I guess maybe the clause came out after that. I don't know. Okay. So, Fred, uh, Elise Stefanik is chair of the House Republican Conference. She just won that post here mm -hmm. recently. I like what she had to say. She was, seemed to be very uh, clear about some of these foreign policy objectives. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is not wise in any circles on any subject when you are in a position to negotiate with a adversary or a competitor, potential adversary, however people want to uh, talk about uh, Russia, to give things away for nothing. Yes. And she made some really good points about what uh, the Biden administration has already done. Oh, yeah. Especially she mentioned uh, three things. The pipeline, number one, uh, the pipeline uh, got the uh, underneath the Baltic Sea from yes. Russia to Germany, got a green light from the Biden administration going into this. this uh, and, and she was she was exactly right. At a time when Biden is trying to shut down the fossil fuel industry in this country, right. she gave the example of Keystone, which we've talked about many times, mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's given the green light to Russia to send uh, oil and gas into Germany. Now, tip of the hat perhaps by Biden to Germany, but it still is going to help the coffers of the Russian government. Right. And then she mentioned uh, with regards to uh, nuclear treaties, uh, giving the Russians five more years in, in that negotiation. And then, of course, the attacks, the software attacks on companies in this country uh, that are believed sourced in Russia. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be mean. Right. But I think when you look at these two world leaders, Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin experienced leader, strong, comes from a very strong background, Russia's secret service. Um, he knows the world. He knows the players. He is very confident. And then you have Biden, who has, as we pointed out before, he's 78 years old. He's physically weak. We, I believe he's mentally weak. If you listen to his speeches, and we've talked about that mm -hmm. many times. And, and so, and the fact that after this meeting today is over, we already know that the Biden administration 
has refused to hold a joint news conference. Remember President Which is Trump? traditional. Yeah, President Trump, uh, Barack Obama, right. meet with world leaders. Mm-hmm. George uh, Bush. They both go into a room. There's a podium over here for the U.S. leader, a podium over here for the foreign leader, and the press gets to ask questions back and forth. Really interesting. The Biden administration says, mm, no, we don't want that. So we'll make our president available all by his lonesome over here mm-hmm. after the meeting. So that, to me, is extremely telling. Well, Chris, also the fact of the matter is uh, that uh, five or six hours is what this meeting is going to be. There are a lot of people questioning the stamina of President Biden. And and, and, and I like what Fred says. We, we don't want to be mean here and just, uh, you know, uh, always critical of everything President Biden does. But because of the belief and the clear impression that President Biden has given, and that is that he has lost his fastball, mm-hmm. that his uh, statements and his speeches are sometimes stumbling, lots of gaffes. You know, he was talking about Putin and about Russia and talking about their involvement in Libya mm-hmm. I mean, just a couple of days ago when he meant to say Syria, said Libya three times. So five to six hours, maybe Biden's handlers understand that to then follow that up with a press conference mm-hmm. with Putin might invite trouble. So they're probably doing what's best for the image of, right. of the president. But still, there are concerns when you're negotiating things like the Stark Treaty. You know, the, the Russians have been modernizing their nuclear weapon arsenal over the last uh, decade. Mm-hmm. The U.S. has not been doing that. So you're going to talk about nuclear weapons you're going to talk about the, the uh, possible Russian uh, government's winking at cyber attacks originating in there. That's some heavy stuff. You got to have. You got to be sharp. You have got to have your A game. Yeah. It seems like maybe even the Biden administration doesn't think the president has it. Well, and also you have to wonder, like, you know, China is watching this to right. kind of see what exactly Biden says or does or does not say. North Korea. They're always, you know, I think Kim Jong-un is the only person in North Korea that probably has a television. So he's... Iran. He's, yeah, Iran. Same. Yeah. So all these all these countries. And, you know, I, I brought this up in the meeting. Let's go back in a time machine of, of, of sorts to uh, 2008. Uh, the reason, supposedly, Barack Obama picked Joe Biden, Senator Joe Biden, to be his running mate was because of Biden's supposed foreign policy experience. He had which, been a which senator Barack for, Obama, candidate yeah. Obama, did not have. He did not have. Yeah, Barack Obama was in his first term as a senator. Uh, he had only been a senator for a couple of years by that point, I think it was. So we brought on Biden, and he was praised for it by the media, and David Axelrod and other people were on television uh, talking about how great of a selection this was for Barack Obama. And here we are uh, where, you know, you have – supposed foreign policy expert Joe Biden, who, as you said, has lost his fastball. I think we can all agree on that. Um, Not really saying and doing a lot. Um, And so I wonder really what this means for China. The reason I bring up China, obviously they have a military. They don't like us. They also happen to make a lot of our stuff. And they have at times um, controlled or held some of our debt. So that is why I think that's a big concern. He's got to be strong here. He's got to show a strong hand and leadership uh, for the world stage so that China doesn't just continue being China. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I I really do believe that at this point, uh, we have seen enough of Joe Biden since he uh, was sworn in as president back in January 
that we ought to be concerned about our enemies. Uh, I think China is going to do what China uh, was doing up until the time Donald Trump became president. And uh, we're not going to see the same kind of leadership that Donald Trump demonstrated. Hard, tough, negotiating, making good on threats. You know, presidents have threatened to be tough on China before. Donald Trump was tough on China. He did it. He did it. He did it. Uh, which George W. Bush did not, which right. Barack Obama did not, and which Joe Biden uh, is not going to do anything with China. I'm absolutely amazed of the of the trade imbalance, for example, with China that existed prior to Donald Trump coming in and saying we're going to do something about this. Right. But I, immediately we're going to revert back uh, to what it was before. I would challenge people <laughs> when you go into grocery stores, even. Look at how much stuff comes from China. Yeah. What are we doing importing food from China? Now listen, I, I've mentioned this on the air before. My wife, at one point, uh, I was telling her, get some salmon. Yeah. Now, this this goes back before Trump. Yes. Okay. So uh, I was shocked. She said, well, th- this particular store she was going to, all they have, she said, is salmon from China, <laughs> and I'm not buying salmon from China. <laughs> yeah. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Salmon from she says yes. yes. The next time we went, she showed me it was salmon imported from China. I know. Why, why you can't buy salmon imported from from companies in this country or Canada or someplace right. like that? Why would you import it from China? But I was shocked about food. You I wouldn't know. think that would be true. No, it, it's just ridiculous, and we don't even have to talk about going to your favorite big box store and going around looking at toy shelves and all that mm. sort of thing. It is a crying shame. Uh, that this country, this this wonderful, strong, capitalist country, is still dependent on a communist regime for our goods. Listen, we were talking about, over the last several weeks, uh, Kamala Harris being in charge of the border situation. She was going down to Guatemala, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to give money uh, to try to get to the root causes of why people come to this country. So I've always thought, what if, if you need products to be produced cheaper than you can here mm-hmm. at least these companies ought to be doing the, having those factories in our hemisphere yeah in central and south america why don't you you know now may, there may be some economic reasons why some supply issues or whatever mm-hmm. but it seems to me we'd be better off doing that in our own hemisphere in yeah. mexico or if if it's got to be cheap than doing it in a communist country. I know. I, I just, you know, I don't understand that. I'll, I'll say this too. It's not just our country that does that, although we probably do it far more than others. The reason I say that is because in the 90s, I went, uh, my family took me to the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. And so we were at a um, gift shop there and I was looking for a t-shirt. And Fred, I'm not, I'm not joking you. I brought, I bought a t-shirt. Uh, it was a green t-shirt and it had the Canadian flag on the on the t-shirt mm-hmm. and it was made in asia so yeah. it's not just like you can't even make your own t-shirts in canada with your own flag <laughs> on it like it's just you know it's not just us it's, it used it to be taiwan when i was growing up it was taiwan and then japan yes and now it's china yeah. mm-hmm. and i understand you get that pacific you can it, shipping mm-hmm. straight across and and they will work people to death over there right. and that's why the products are so and cheap. of course now if we mention taiwan we have to get john cena to come out and apologize apologize <laughs> oh man all right what else we got well you know you would think uh that's uh with 
Biden in Geneva talking about things with uh, Vladimir Putin. Kamala Harris would be hard at work on uh, domestic policy issues, one of those being the border. Um, If you'll remember, the president put Kamala Harris, his number two, in charge of the border crisis, and we can all say it is a crisis. Um, But the thing is, Kamala hasn't done really much of anything on the border. She certainly hasn't done a a press conference. There is somebody at foxnews.com whose job it is to keep track of how long she's gone without a press conference. Literally every day they have an article to this effect on the homepage there at foxnews.com. But she's now gone 84 days without a press conference on the border crisis. And, of course, she told NBC earlier this month that, you know, we've been to the border. We've been to the border, that kind of thing. now, Texas's governor, uh, Greg Abbott, he, he says the vice president has not called him once about the border crisis since she was put in charge of the border situation. And uh, also, I've got some sound here. Let's bring this in real quick. It's, it's a quick clip. Um, this is Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas on the Ingram angle, and he was talking about how crazy it is that we require all sorts of identification for travel and people seeking COVID shots, but we do nothing about ID and COVID checks for people crossing the border illegally. Clip three. Why are we even kidding ourselves collecting international passports at our airports or checking for COVID? I mean, why are we doing that when we're just letting thousands and thousands every day come into this country, no papers, no passports, uh, no COVID tests, nothing? Uh, disease, criminals, you name it, just pouring into the country. I want to tip my hat to our, our men and women on, on the Department of Public Safety, our state troopers. They're doing a her- tremendous job at our National Guard, and, and we're filling all those holes where the Border Patrol no longer can be because they're, they're yeah. basically processing. Well, they're like checking in people at the Hotel America. Who, who is that? That is Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of okay. Texas. Yes. Right. Well, Fred, the, the, I'm I'm always, uh, not always at a loss for words, but frequently at a loss for words for the just insanity that seems to have gripped Washington D.C. with the left wing in charge of foreign. Not, we were talking about foreign policy, but now domestic policy and international relations and and allowing people to stream across our border without any care or concern uh, about whether they have COVID or other diseases and yet talk of vaccine passports for those of us who are actually citizens here. So I, I, I almost don't know what to say about it because it does seem like it's insane, but when you don't have a media who will call the democratic party on, I don't even call it hypocrisy, mm-hmm. the insanity. Yes. Okay, where these policies just don't make any sense. There's no consistency. If you don't have the media doing its job, most people miss the insanity. Yes. They, they don't even know what's going on. Well, you know, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick made some you know, an excellent point about we require ID. You show up on an airport to get on an airplane, you're not getting on an airplane unless you have the passport, unless you have your driver's license to right. prove who you are. Uh, so we put those restrictions in place to protect this country. Uh, but the, the doors are wide open on our southern border. It was interesting, Vice President Kamala Harris, who hasn't held a news conference yeah. in 84 days. Correct. Yesterday was uh, Dreamer's Day for her. And uh, she basically announced that uh, her goal, all Dreamers in this country, you're going to get citizenship. You're going to get it like right away. That's the policy. The other thing, you know, we talk about our southern border. There's dangerous things going on right there because it's not just Central America. We pointed this out before. 
Uh, somebody was saying yesterday, what about these people coming in from Yemen? Right. Mm-hmm. These people have money. Yes. They paid big money to get to Mexico to come across the border. Why are they coming? Yeah. <laughs> They're not coming because of persecution in Yemen. They've got other things on their mind right. in this country. And we don't know where they're going. Right. They're just disappearing somewhere in the country. Dear they knows go, what they they're up to. They can go anywhere. They can go anywhere. Very dangerous. Once they cross that border. All right, folks, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Rob Chambers, Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs, will be here to discuss what he's seen at the Southern Baptist Convention. Next time on Today's Issues, our guest will be Jan Markell of Understanding the Times Radio. They're very, very obsessed with deprogramming anyone who might be a Christian, might be a conservative, might even be just a patriot. Did you know that is not allowed any longer? We'll also have news headlines and analysis from American Family News. Don't miss the next Today's Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. What would it be like if every person knew that they were created in the image of God? After two years in the making, American Family Studios proudly presents In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. There are only two sexes, male or female. If you're conceived with a Y chromosome, you will develop into a male. In His Image is a documentary featuring life-changing testimonies of former LGBT individuals. In my most formative years of development of sexuality, I went through a brutal time of uh, sexual distortion, molestation. Visit InHisImage.movie to watch In His Image. Well, everybody, welcome to this unboxing video as we unbox. My hormone blockers. In His Image from American Family Studios is available now for free viewing. Visit InHisImage.movie. You're made in the image of God. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you in the midst of your college search? We invite you to explore Liberty University this spring at one of our on-campus events. Spend a few hours exploring campus at Tour LU, dig deeper, and learn more about life at Liberty during Experience OU. Or you can take your next steps towards training for your dream career on a world-class campus by meeting with faculty and department heads and getting your questions answered at DecideLU. Learn more about these visiting opportunities and register today by texting VISIT to the number 49596. Again, that's VISIT to the number 49596. On Tuesday, messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention named Ed Litton as their president, embracing a moderate pastor who says critical race theory is nothing to worry about. The New York Times headline summed up today's events, Southern Baptists narrowly head off conservative takeover. As one dejected Christian told me, Biden Baptist won the day. And they did. For a decade now, a number of young pastors have been indoctrinated in some Baptist seminaries, their minds filled with ideas like social justice and, most recently, critical race theory. Conservatives made a crucial mistake during those years. They did not mind the store. They ignored the problem. And when they did speak out, it was too late. Those who raised issues were attacked by their woke brethren, accused of being misogynist, racist, xenophobes, Baptist deplorables. All is not lost, but it's going to take a lot of work to repair the damage that's been done, and we must, because as the Southern Baptists go, so goes the nation. I'm Todd Stearns. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 American Family Radio 
This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And welcome back, everyone. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman today. I'm joined in studio by Fred Jackson and Chris Woodward. And now we turn to Nashville, where Rob Chambers is. Rob is Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs. He's also Vice President of AFA Action. Rob, welcome to today's issues. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. All right, so Rob, we did talk a little bit at the top of the hour about uh, what was going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, but we want to get uh, your first-person take on what you have seen, what has happened, and where you think maybe Southern Baptists go from here. Well, uh, first of all, is uh, I'm a I'm also here as a messenger for my local church, and so, but I've been to many conventions, nearly all of them, since 2002 or 2003, so I've been to a lot of these conventions, and what I can tell you is, is there are a lot more people here uh, at this convention than there have been in the past. As many as 16,000 people have registered, and, and over 15,000, I think, have voted at any uh, given time. So there's a lot of people here, Ed, and so uh, there is a you know a lot of a rank, what you would call rank-and-file uh, Baptist. Uh, when we go out it's, uh, for AFA and we go out and do town hall, Meetings, uh, it's that, those same type of people that are here. So there's a lot of, uh, I would say, biblically conservative, uh, fiscally conservative people here uh, at the meeting. Rob, it's Fred here. Um, perhaps if folks haven't been listening over the last 12 hours or so, the Southern Baptist Convention has a new president. Uh, he is Ed Litton, and uh, he is, uh, I believe, a, a pastor uh, from Mobile, Alabama. And he defeated Mike Stone, a pastor, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Blackshire, Georgia. Now, it came down to two votes yesterday. Uh, in the first vote, I was rather surprised. Al Mohler was also a candidate for president, but he finished third. So he was not in the runoff. That was between Stone and Lytton. But uh, would it be an overstatement to say that Stone represents the conservative viewpoints on, on issues such as critical race theory whereas uh, Lytton uh, represented the Russell Moore, J.D. Greer, more woke philosophies in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, is, is that an oversimplification? No, I think that's a correct assessment, uh, Brad. Uh, there is, uh, Steve, uh, Mike Stone was, was explicitly clear that he uh, opposed uh, critical race theory, that it was antithetical. Uh, to the Bible uh, and also to uh, to the convention's uh, view on on race or racism, and so I, I totally agree. I think that's where where, uh, where uh, Stone is, and Lytton is indicated that he is supportive with uh, of, of critical race theory and actually believes it's uh, complementary uh, or in or is consistent with with the Bible. I, I don't see how he does that, but I would like to mention one thing that there was a resolution passed, it's called Resolution Resolution 2, and it basically, it, it rejects the tenets of critical race theory. It doesn't mention critical race theory uh, by name, but it rejects the um, the theory or worldview that sees the primary problem of humanity as anything other than sin against God, and the ultimate solution is anything other than redemption found only in Christ. And there's another line or two there. So uh, Southern Baptists resolutely uh rejected uh, critical race theory, not by name, but by uh, by tenets. Yeah, it was very interesting. I was reading an Associated Press report on this yesterday, 
And to your point, there was an effort. Uh, AP says one delegate urged the convention to denounce critical race theory by name, saying it held him guilty because of the uh, uh, the, the color of his skin, i.e. critical race theory. If you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're born with uh, black or brown skin, you're, you're the oppressed. Uh, yes. But James Merritt, who chaired the resolutions committee, uh, I was yes. watching when this happened yesterday. He got fit. Uh, you could see it on his face. He got physically upset with the suggestion that critical race theory should be mentioned in this resolution by name. Here's how Merritt responded. If some people in this room were as passionate about the gospel as they are about critical race theory, we would win the world to Christ. Now, James Merritt knew what he was doing. I'm going to shut down this conversation right now because I'm going to accuse you for wanting to put critical race theory by name in the resolution of being more concerned with that than you are about winning souls for Jesus Christ. And that was done over and over and over again by the left. Yes. Yes, I was uh, I was in the uh, meeting room when that took place. I was a bit taken back uh, by uh, James Merritt's uh, response. I thought it was uh, way over the top, and uh, I thought it was inappropriate to turn around and, uh, and attack a, a, a Baptist messenger from a local church uh, who was basically calling critical race theory uh, for what it is. And he says, if, it's a, if you, you see a skunk, call it by its name, a skunk. So he was saying, basically, we need to call it out for what it is. And uh, James Merritt turned around and just uh, lambasted the guy. I'm talking about literally lambasted. I mean, he, he, he lost it on this guy. And I don't know why, other than maybe what you said, was to shut down the debate. And uh, in effect, it did, uh, unfortunately. Chris? Uh, yeah, how how binding are these resolutions? Is, you know, is there anything to prevent a pastor from going home and saying, you know, and preaching a sermon this Sunday even um, on critical race theory and why people need to believe it and embrace it and preach it and things of that sort? Well, it would not be binding on a local church. It's something that the, the uh, convention as a whole has agreed upon, so it would not prevent a local church uh, from from preaching on uh, critical race theory. However, what it would prevent is uh, Ed Litton from going out and, and preaching uh, the tenets of critical race theory that's uh, laid out in the resolution number two. So basically, uh, Litton can't go out there and, and in my opinion, uh, talk about the accolades of critical race theory because they, he would be speaking against uh, how the convention voted in support of resolution two on race and race, racial uh, reconciliation. Rob, last uh, question, then we'll let you uh, go and get back to what's happening there in Nashville. But uh, it seems clear to me that because of the vote, the the closeness of the vote between Ed Litton and Mike Stone, I think just 600 or so votes separated them, uh, that you, you have a situation um, amongst those who call themselves Southern Baptists that there is a split, seems to be a split, uh, between those who are more conservative and those who are more woke. Uh, is, is that what you've seen amongst the messengers? I mean, are there really almost half of the messengers there who are in favor of CRT, even though they voted for this uh, resolution too? Uh, if they are against CRT, in fact, uh, the majority of them are, why did they vote for Ed Litton? Well, I, I think they. Uh, I think I think the assessment is correct that about half of the convention, or at least the, half of the messengers that were here uh, that voted, 
I believe it is more in a, in a woke direction that would be affirming of critical race theory. And uh, I think they voted against Steve Stone, or excuse me, Mike Stone, because they, they, they did not want someone that was on record as, as opposing critical race theory because of the backlash that would probably have created from the, uh, you know, from the likes of Huffington Post or Washington Post or Houston Chronicle, for example. So uh, I think it, they were trying to uh, mitigate any potential uh, backlash from the culture. But kind of like what the guy messenger said, if it's a skunk, call it a skunk, and uh, if it's sin, call it what it is, and that's what critical race theory is, in my opinion. All right, Rob, uh, thank you for um, for going. I mean, I know you were going as a uh, representative uh, messenger from your own church, but thanks for covering this for American Family Association and American Family hey, Radio. Okay, may I add one last? Thing Absolutely, that, I mean, go ahead. If, yeah, if there's, sure. There's one critical thing that, that's going to be voted on later this afternoon, and it's a resolution on abolishing abortion. Uh, the, the, this was presented uh, to the resolutions committee, and the resolutions committee denied the uh, that that this pro-life. I say pro-life is a, a resolution abolishing abortion, and so the messengers yesterday, by a vote of two-thirds, forced the resolutions committee to bring that that resolution to a floor today for a floor vote. And uh, so we see a the Southern Baptist Convention moving even further in the direction of, of pro-life, basically seeing that there are no exceptions for abortion, meaning rape or incest, or uh, for fetal deformity, mm. for example. So uh, that's a uh, it, that's a really great move in the direction of the of the Southern Baptist Convention. It is one that needs to, to pass, in my opinion, and uh, I will be uh, voting for it. Oh, so Rob, let me, let me, uh, that'll be take, taking place this afternoon. I said it would be one more question, but this what you said brings up one other question here. Why did they have to force the resolutions committee to bring this to a floor vote? Was there resistance to bringing this before the uh, uh, messengers for a vote? It was a, uh, in in my estimation, it was a very weak uh, response from the resolutions committee. They said, "Well, we've already had several resolutions on abortion, and we just didn't want to uh, to bring it out for that reason." I'm kind of paraphrasing based on what I recall, and so it was a very weak response. It did not have anything on uh, on the merit of the resolution itself. It okay. was just that we have addressed abortion in the past and resolutions, and and so. But this is very clear that the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, if they if the Southern Baptist Convention votes down this abolishing abortion uh, resolution, then uh, then wow. I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't see how you could call the Southern Baptist Convention pro life anymore because uh, all it, it is very clear that all 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 human life is created in the image of God, worthy of protection. It doesn't matter if they're a victim; they were uh, conceived out of rape or incest. That that life should not be aborted, and that is the position of that resolution. All right, thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thank you all. Bye-bye. All right, Fred, any last uh, comments about uh, about what Rob was discussing? You're, you are Southern Baptist, so yes. defer to you. I, I really, and this, this is my opinion, I really believe there was a constructed plan to make sure that Mike Stone did not win the presidency. I think the people involved were that, uh, was Russell Moore former head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, who quit his job uh, last month, uh, but let it be known through suspicious leaks of letters that he wrote, uh, particularly one that he wrote uh, on May 30th uh, to uh, the president, J.D. Greer, naming Mike Stone as being a problem. Right. Naming Mike Stone as being soft on dealing with the problem of sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches. 
which is not true. Mike Stone pointed out that he himself was a victim of sexual abuse, so how could he be weak on it? Right. It was a matter of what procedure to take. And so uh, in Russell Moore's letter of May 30th to J.D. Greer, he says, I know we talked about this on the phone last night, but I thought I'd put it down on paper. Yeah. Come on. And then that letter mysteriously gets leaked to the public. Right. So I believe uh, Russell Moore and J.D. Greer Ed Stetzer, uh, he endorsed uh, uh, Ed Litton, who uh, Ed Stetzer is head of Wheaton College. He is he's woke. Uh, he's woke. He's on that side. So I believe. And then you had Dwight McKissick, who is a well-known black pastor from Texas, who said, unless you kind of play down critical race theory, I'm leaving the denomination. And he said unless Ed Litton was voted as president, yes, he'd leave. He'd leave. Yeah. Guess, lo and behold, Ed Litton wins the presidency. So you now have, and I going back to what we said off the top of the, the program, you have the same kind of divide in the Southern Baptist Convention as you do in our culture right now. Right. Same issues exactly. So where is that going to take the Southern Baptist Convention? There was a 600-vote margin between Stone and Litton. Basically, uh, you could almost say it was almost a dead heat right. between the two. So it's a convention that's very divided. And you may say, okay, will they all get together and sing Kumbaya uh, now? I don't think so. Uh, the way Southern Baptists have spoken in the past in their opposition is that churches uh, stop giving to the cooperative fund, right. which funds the missionary programs of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, which, by, by the way, which is pretty interesting, given the comments by James Merritt, that if you really are interested and uh, and and fully embrace the Great Commission objective of the Southern Baptist Convention, then what you would really do is stop promoting critical race theory, uh-huh. and you'd stop uh, putting into positions people like Russell Moore, who are woke, because that's actually driving churches to stop giving to the very cooperative fund that helps preach the gospel. That's right. So if you were really interested, James Merritt, you would stop with the wokeness yes. and promote the preaching of the gospel, but they don't do that. They, don't. they only use that argument to criticize those who criticize the very thing that they're promoting. Yeah. I think we're going to be watching what happens with the cooperative fund over the next six months. Perhaps that will tell us the direction the SBC is going. Yeah. All right, Chris, what else we got? How much time have we got left in this segment? 13. 13 13 minutes. 12, 13 minutes. All right, here we go. We got a lot to cover, but we're going to cover it. You just watch. Chris or listen, <laughs> whatever you're doing with this show. Uh, yeah, this is a, a big topic. Uh, if you are a fan of uh, Tucker Carlson's program, you probably saw his uh, monologue, if that's what it's called there at the beginning of the show, where he speaks for 10, 15 minutes about a number of things. And last night he really went after the federal government's response to the people that showed up at the Capitol on January 6th. Some people call them rioters. Some people... Uh, call them insurgents, or some people have even referred. Yeah. yeah, some people have even used the T word and refer to them as terrorists. But let's begin the discussion here uh, by including a little bit of sound. This is Attorney General Merrick Garland this week announcing plans to combat what he calls domestic terrorism, albeit in a vague way. Clip four. In the FBI's view, the top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists 
specifically those who advocated for the superiority of the white race. Now, I bring all this up because Tucker really went after that. Um, He was saying that the Biden administration from this speech from the attorney general is clearly going to start going after people that oppose the Biden administration. Clip five. Because of January 6th, says the chief law enforcement officer in the United States of America and many other members of Joe Biden's cabinet, we must now use law enforcement and military force to arrest, imprison, and otherwise crush anyone who leads opposition to Joe Biden's government. That's their position. They say that out loud. They did today. So what is this exactly? Well, it's a big change in the way the United States government assesses and then treats its own citizens. We are living through the transformation of a formerly democratic republic into something else. We're looking at growing authoritarianism. That's not an overstatement. Vladimir Putin knows authoritarian systems very well, and he sees clearly what is happening in this country. Watch this. Did you order Alexei Navalny's assassination? Of course not. We don't have this kind of habit of assassinating anybody. That's one. Number two is, I want to ask you, did you order the assassination of the woman who walked into the Congress and who was shot and killed by a policeman? Do you know that 450 individuals were arrested after entering the Congress and they didn't go there to steal a laptop? They came with political demands. Now, that's just one bit. I have another clip here, but... What, if anything, stands out to you well, this far? Well, Fred, let me, let me uh, ask you this, okay? Um, what, what I, I did go. We had our meeting this morning, mm-hmm. and I, I did not watch last night. I did not watch Tucker Carlson's uh, segment. It was almost 15 minutes. I watched it this morning, and I got to tell you, that was pretty scary, the way he's putting some of these pieces together, because what it seems like the left has been doing long before January 6th is it started off by saying Donald Trump, President Donald Trump is a racist, Charlottesville, okay? He's a racist. The people who voted for him are racists, white supremacists, okay? And the people who stormed the Capitol or entered the Capitol on January 6th White supremacists, even though there's no proof that that was what was motivating them, now they're saying that white supremacists are the number one domestic terrorist threat to this country. And so they are linking all those things together and are going after them, which makes it seem possible. I don't know if it's probable or is going to happen. Possible that what they're going to do is say, People who voted for Donald Trump are the number one threat to this country. Yes. That that's the way they are directing the Department of Justice and the use of the federal government, which is to say we're going after conservatives. Yeah. It was very interesting, the announcement from Attorney General Merrick Garland yesterday. He said, now, now you don't have to worry. We're not going to go after people for expressing a belief but we're going to go after people who turn that into action. Okay. Um, So what action you have arrested, apparently 400 people in connection with January 6th. Some we are told are being held in isolation. Yep. They haven't been charged yet. They haven't been charged. We're six months down the road. Yes. 
They are sitting in jails in Washington, Mm D.C., and a federal judge keeps extending and extending and extending. We don't even know if these people have attorneys. No. Further, January 6th, no one is saying that they were motivated by racism. You can't. That's what Merrick Garland says, you know, white supremacists. They weren't motivated by. They were upset about the fact that Donald Trump lost the election. All right. So mm-hmm. that, that's why they went there. There's nothing racist about that. So what you have now, and what's really scary, and what Tucker Carlson is pointing out, how is it in America, which we're supposed to have a superior justice system, innocent until proven guilty, that we are keeping people in jail for simply showing up? Not all of these hundreds that have been arrested did any physical damage to furniture and whatever the case may be. Now, I, I think you have another clip there. The other thing that Tucker Carlson brought out last night is there are people who have been identified in FBI documents as person number two mm-hmm. and person number three. Unindicted co-conspirators. Yes, they're not identifying them, and they have not been charged. Right. You want to go there? Yes, let's do this. Uh, Clip six, Mr. Brent. For example, one of those unindicted co-conspirators is someone government documents identify only as person two. According to those documents, person two stayed in the same hotel room as a man called Thomas Caldwell, an insurrectionist, a man alleged to be a member of the group, the Oath Keepers. Person two also, quote, stormed the barricades at the Capitol on January 6th alongside Thomas Caldwell. The government's indictments further indicate that Caldwell, who, by the way, is a 65-year-old man, this dangerous insurrectionist, was led to believe there would be a, quote, quick reaction force also participating on January 6th. That quick reaction force, Caldwell was told, would be led by someone called Person 3, who had a hotel room and an accomplice with him. But wait, here's the interesting thing. Person 2 and Person 3 were organizers of the riot. The government knows who they are, but the government has not charged them. Why is that? You know why. They were almost certainly working for the FBI. So FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, according to government documents. Yeah, this this was this is eye opening. And I'll tell you why in watching this segment is because. I'm just speaking for myself. A lot of, I knew a lot of these individual pieces of information. What Tucker Carlson, Carlson did is he really connected these dots. Yes. And talking about the, I didn't know this about these co-conspirators. I'll say that they there have been uncharged. Yes. Okay. And if they are FBI operatives, I'm not sure where the law is in terms of entrapment and things like that. But if they were participating in the organizing of this event on January 6th, call it whatever you want. You call it insurrection or attack on the Capitol or whatever. We have criticized what happened on January 6th. But if the federal government was in charge of helping to organize it, that might explain why a lot of these people who have been arrested have not been have not been uh, brought before judges and uh, charged yet because their lawyer, their lawyer is going to say, no, wait a second mm-hmm. person two. Who is he? I want to know. Yeah. They'll person have a three. right to defend. So 
they're, if they're going to be kept like uh, down at Guantanamo Bay without because they are terrorists, that's what we do with terrorists. Mm-hmm. We're the country's okay with doing it if it's a member of ISIS or Al Qaeda. But are we going to start doing this with American citizens where we just keep them in prison and never charge them? This is absurd. You know, it's funny you mentioned Guantanamo Bay. The people in Guantanamo Bay are getting better treatment than these people that are being held in Washington, D.C. Yep. People in Washington, D.C. are being held in isolation, not allowed to talk to anybody else. They may be allowed outside their cell, maybe for an hour a day, not allowed to listen to music, radio, or the whole thing. The terrorists down in Guantanamo Bay are being treated with kid gloves. Right. How is it that this is happening? This this is very troubling. I would invite people to go and read Tucker Carlson's mm-hmm. editorial from last night for yourself because he then connects the alleged plot against Governor Whitmer in in Michigan. Yes. Yeah, we won't we probably won't have time to cover that, but that's another big wow moment. Well, and he says there were FBI agents mm-hmm. embedded in that group of five. Yes. Almost half of the group. Yes. Yes. And also, just to save you some time, if you go to onenewsnow.com, look at the bottom right section of the page in the latest from the web category, the great Rusty Pew has included a link to Tucker's comments in that section. It says, Tucker, we are looking at growing authoritarianism and goes from there. Yes. I'll tell you, Tucker, Tucker Carlson's report last night was eye-popping. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'll be honest. I'm just going to say this. Uh, this is probably over the top, but I'm going to say it anyway. Tucker Carlson better watch his back. Secure, better get security. He better get some security because this guy is is a, a bulldog when it comes to going after the growing authoritarianism of the left. And I'm not just talking about in the Biden administration. I'm talking about across the country. These people are playing for keeps. And now they look like they're weaponizing the federal government, which has untold power Mm. to accomplish its goals, maybe even punish its political opponents like some kind of banana republic. All right, we got to take a five-minute break for news. Steve Jordahl's right around the corner, folks. Join us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.